morning. Um, I'm just going to speak from my heart for a few minutes before we get into the sermon. Um, I'd like to remind us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. And when God gives that spirit, it's perfect. It's perfect, and it casts out fear. And when the Bible says casts out, it's you throw it without being concerned of where it goes. You don't hide it away for the next time something bad happens. It's one of these. You cast it. Perfect love casts out fear. And a Christian who has confidence in that gift that God has given us. The Bible says God has shed abroad in our hearts the love of Christ. There is no fear. And it's not because we have this overwhelming faith. In fact, it's this small. It's so small. But it's a pure faith. It's a pure seed. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the seed, the seed of God, and the power of that seed. Um, I don't even feel like I need to pray. We've just been in the spirit of prayer. So just stay where you are. I thank you, Lord, for your word, for your spirit. And we just continue in that flow. And I'm going to tell you a story. Why? Because Jesus loved to tell stories. And I think stories are something we remember more than just a jumble of words. So in this story, there's a rich man, and he hires two guys to work for him, to be his assistants, to be on call, to do whatever, whatever he needs them to do. This is a very rich man, as you're about to find out. And to the first man, he says, I'm going to pay you $10,000 per month. Anybody ready to sign up? <laughs> Sorry, Pastor. <laughs> Okay, (laughs) $10,000 per month, and if you complete one year with me, I will give you a million-dollar bonus at the end of the year. Sound good? Y'all ready? I'm ready. To the next man, he says, I'm going to pay you one penny per week, but every week I'm going to double it for one year, but that's all you get. Now, on week two, Mr. $10,000 a month, when it's check time, he feels pretty good. Yeah, 10000 He sees his buddy get two cents, and he can't understand why this other guy is so happy. What, what's his deal? He just got paid two cents for a week's worth of work. He worked just as hard as me, if not harder. I have 20000 He has three pennies. So, you know, he's excited on the way to the bank. Week four happens. Same thing. He's excited. You get into week 10 and week 12, he notices his... His buddy's checks start to climb (laughs) a lot. By week 20, he was making $10,000, and now he's sad. You know why? Because his buddy is raking in checks, $100,000, 200000 $400,000, $800,000, $1,600,000, and they're not even halfway through the year. Why is that important? Because God, This is how God pays us. 
He pays us with seed. And seed is meant in the right conditions to multiply. Some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Not 100 times, 100 fold. 100 of the hundreds, of the hundreds, of the hundreds. And I want to prophesy to you that there is seed of God in you. It's the same seed in me. It's the same seed that was in Abraham, David, all of our forefathers, all of the women of faith. The same seed is in you. And it can grow. Why? Because it's not from you. It's from God. So let's take a look at some of those seeds. The title of this message this morning is The Power of a Single Seed. Now what I've done is an illustration. I actually did this with our youth. I gave each of them three seeds and a cup. That's it. And I said, if you can show me proof of life, I will give you a reward. If you can show me new seeds from that life, I will give you a greater reward. Why would I do this? Because in Mark 4, Jesus says the foundation of all the parables, of all of his introductory teachings, are found in the story of a farmer and some seeds. And in that story, there's four types of soil. Not not four types of seed. It's the same seed. The seed is the Word of God. You have the same spirit as everyone else who's ever lived, who's walked with the Lord. Does not the Bible say the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead quickens our mortal body? The same seed of God that was in him is in you. Which is why Jesus could say crazy things like, greater works ye shall do because I go to my Father. He's like, you're my seed and you're going to produce seeds. And by the time it gets to your generation, we're going to be counting in the trillions and the quadrillions. It's just going to explode across the earth. It's not that we're better than Jesus. If we come from him, the vine, and that vine will grow and produce fruit. And if you're in that vine, guess what? You are going to blossom. Because it's not of you. It's the gift of God. Well, Josh, what about my struggles? What about them? Are they more powerful than God? What about my secret sin that I haven't told anyone about? Do you really think that sin can defeat the blood of Christ? Like, really? Is that what we've come to? Is the devil an equal par? Is is Jesus and the devil sparring over your soul? Or did Jesus say, it is finished? He took the keys of Hades and of death. He stripped the strong man of all of his authority. Every bit. How do I know this? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. How much is left? How much does the devil have? He only has what you will give him by abdication just like Adam did. It's the only authority he has in your life. Every sin you've ever committed that haunts you, that's not from God. God's not reminding you of those things. He's calling you from glory to glory. He's calling you higher. Who is it that whispers to you? The accuser. But he can't even talk unless you let him. Why? Because he has no more authority. 
I heard a funny story one time. The sound guys will appreciate this. Um, there was a famous musician, and they were having all this problem in the sound system. And they were rebuking the devil. They were praying, oh, God, let this sound system work in Jesus' name. Stop buzzing in Jesus' name. And uh, anyway, they decided to hire a professional sound engineer, somebody who went to school to work on speakers and, and understand how it works. And within a few days, all the problems were gone, and they never came back. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we just need to rise up and be who God has called us to be And then all those problems that we thought were so big, they're gone. Why? Because perfect love casts out or drives out fear. It's gone. It's cast aside. Don't even know where it went. And I just want to continue to encourage us that God, who has begun a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it into the day of Christ. I just want to read this verse that has, I don't feel like it has anything to do with the word I'm I'm bringing, but I couldn't shake it, so I'm going to read it to you, and hopefully it speaks to you. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I, gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Just receive that from the Lord this morning. If you can't take one of those, if if your stomach is in knots or your heart is clenched or your mind is racing, Jesus, I receive it. Do it by faith. It doesn't have to be a big production. Just believe. Just believe. Just like a child. Believe that the word is real. They believe Santa is real. What a dumb story that is, right? Like, really? Like, you get to about 10 years old, and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> There's a lot of houses around planet Earth. Kids, I love Santa. He's a great man. He can do fantastic things. Just saying. Sorry, and you're welcome, parents. Okay. Moving on. The power of a single seed. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Or as some translations say, lose heart. Do not grow. Listen to that. Grow. There's a process of growing weary. And we have to guard against it. How do we do that? Well, there you go. Matthew eleven, twenty-eight. Come to Jesus. Get rest from him. Be refreshed. Jesus is the Sabbath rest. That's what we learn from Hebrews. It's not a day anymore. It's a person. And so we come into Christ. We receive that rest. We're energized as Isaiah 40, 31 prophesies that even the young men will grow tired and weary, but those who wait on the Lord, they will be strengthened. They will rise up. They will mount up with eagle's wings. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Or as Elijah did, they shall outrun chariots on foot. Or as Samson, they'll take a jawbone and defeat an army. Or David's mighty men, they'll take a sword and stand in a field and 
one by one slay the enemy to where they have to pry the fingers off the sword at the end of the battle. That strength comes from God. It's not of this world. It's not of this world. His love casts out fear. It's not our love. It's not our striving. As many of us know, as, as I know, fear has a tricky way of kind of wiggling to our thought process. There's this, the what ifs. It starts small, like a seed. You know, first it's like, well, what if I get the virus? You're thinking, well, what, what about my kids? What will they do? Or, you know, what if I spread it to this person? What, you know, and all, before long, like, there's an epidemic in here. You know what I mean? What if I said, I'm crucified with Christ? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I'm going to obey my earthly authorities because that's right. Paul taught us that more than once. I'm going to do what people ask me to do, but I'm not going to walk around being afraid to die. Why? Because it's not my life anymore. It's Christ in me. It's his life, and I am a gift to him because he's a gift to me. We've made an exchange. We're in partnership. We're in covenant. And he can keep me around as long as he wants. And when he's ready to receive me home, I'm not going to complain. I've made a few requests to him on this life, and other than that, I'm like, just do what you do. Let's just, just have fun. Help me to stay true to you and not grow weary while doing good. All right. I want to make a quick statement. And then I want to prove it with the Word of God. It pleases God to start with small things. Think about that. It pleases Him to start small. Or as the analogy went with the penny, it pleases Him. Why? I don't know. It's just what He does. Sometimes God is is who He is. We just have to accept it. And oftentimes... What we try to do as Christians is we try to get as many seeds as we can. You hear that word? Oh, it's so awesome. You hear that song? It was great. Blah, blah, Do it. Get all the seeds you can, right? They're all wonderful. But how few of us will take the time to say, you know what? Let me pause. Let me rest. Let me take one of those seeds. look at it. I'm not going to be all over the place. I'm just going to look at this seed. Wow. So much life. Thank you, Lord, for, the, for your word. Thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and life. Your word planted in me will produce a crop, a harvest of righteousness. So, Father, I receive your word. I receive it by faith. If anyone has even the faith of a mustard seed, a grain of a mustard seed, they could say to this mountain, move and be cast in the sea and it would be done. I pray that seed would be planted in my heart. The seed of faith. And then you wait. You give it time. You keep speaking over that seed. And before you know it, you look down And it's not very impressive, you know. Your first mountain might be, I don't know, you need five bucks. And then you just declare it, Lord, I'm believing you for that five dollars. 
And then one of your friends randomly says, hey, man, I just felt led to give this to you. And it's so exciting. It's just a tiny little plant. But you've been speaking and nourishing and caring for that seed. And before long, it starts to grow and grow and grow to where you'll believe God for anything. You're not afraid anymore. You know, people around you can be stricken and you're just like, I'm good. I've got faith. I've been nourishing that faith over time. And it may have started as a penny. And y'all have may laughed when you got your fat checks because you were going after multitude instead of purity and instead of, you know, God's method. But trust me, do not grow weary while doing good. Keep watering that thing. Keep tilling that soil. Just flick those bugs off. I don't know if many of you know, but I am a totally amateur gardener. I'm not good at all. But I enjoy it. I have fun. And uh, it's relaxing. It's relaxing to go out and look at my little garden, my little plants, see how they're doing. Then there'll be like strange bugs in them. I have no idea what they are. So we'll Google them and figure out, okay, should I let them stay? Should I kick them out? And... uh. Yeah, that's that's me, and usually my harvest is very meager. And But the point is, there's so much lessons that we can learn in the seed and in the process and in, in the, the life of the seed. And I want to get everything God has for me. I don't want to be somebody who's got rocky soil and all of a sudden... Um, that good seed of the word of God wasn't able to bear the fruit it was meant to bear. So we're going to look at Mark 4. I'm calling Mark 4 a master class in the kingdom of God. And what it looks like, and it's so simple, it's about seeds. It's about harvest, and it's about soil. And there's different parts of that. Um, I've been referencing loosely a few of the stories in Mark 4. But let's go ahead and look at it. I'm going to summarize the first half just because it's a lot of verses. Um, There's a farmer. He scatters seed. Some fall on a path. Some fall on rocky, stony soil. Some fall among thorns. And then some fall on good soil. And the seed, according to Jesus, his disciples ask him later, "What what were you talking about? He says it's the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And the seed on the path is what immediate room for even the seed to get in. And that tells me that's a heart that's cold. That's somebody who's like, I got enough problems to worry about than trying to give the church all my money. It's that kind of attitude that's just like, just stay away. Or um, then there's another kind of seed. And this is a, this looks promising at first. It's, it's a seed with that goes into soil that has stones in it or rocks. And at first it pops up. And I don't know if you've ever met someone like this. You ever met someone who like gets real excited and they talk, yeah, this is so awesome. If you're in church work a lot, you, do, you feel this all the time. Someone comes, oh, it's so good to see you. Like, oh, I can't wait to see you next week. You never see them again. It's, it's, there's an initial excitement because the word does something and they feel something and they experience something. But because they're not rooted, because they haven't taken time to let that seed go deep in the heart, um, every little thing is a distraction to them. And when life gets difficult, boom, you throw in the towel. Um, I've heard some people say they, they're bitter at God because something bad happened. I'm so sorry something bad happened to you. But look around the room. 
something bad has happened to all of us. You know, you're not the only one. This life is hard. Jesus actually said that. He said the narrow path is difficult. He said in this world you will have trouble. And if he's our example, was his life easy? No. Jesus was technically homeless for his entire adult life. It's not very impressive on a resume, right? Um, uh, what are your qualifications? Well, uh, I tell good stories, and it's uh, really all I got. Um, college, no. High school, well, I almost finished, you know. And I'm, I'm just making this up. But the idea is Jesus' life went in direct contrast to the overwhelming success that you might imagine that he should have had based on his gifts. But he understood this principle. He understood that his life was a seed, right? He said, unless a seed falls in the ground and dies, it doesn't bear any fruit. But if it does, if it does, it bear much fruit. And as soon as he started getting famous, as soon as his name really spread, now his message changes and he tells his disciples, oh yes, I'm about to die very soon. But don't worry, it's God's plan. They're like, Peter's like, <laughs> no you ain't, Jesus. I will fight them off with a sword. And he did. And Jesus says something interesting to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking about things here in the flesh. This is a work of the Spirit. And the seed principle is a work of the Spirit that we can observe in the natural and then parallel our lives according to that pattern. All right. So, we talked about the path, the stony soil, and then there's the thorny soil. This is the trickiest one for me. This is the one that I fear the most. Why? Because for a while, everything looks good. But over time, the cares of this world the desire for other things or the worries of this life choke out the word. And this is why I'm telling you, therefore, do not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, you shall reap if you do not lose heart. Let's just be honest in here. Who in here has recently, say within the last month, felt the struggle on a, on a fairly deep level? Anybody? I have been... Sad, mad, angry, depressed, um, upset, all in <laughs> varying degrees at different moments. But you know what I found? I'm not supposed to trust my emotions. I'm supposed to hear the truth and let the truth guide me because I have a greater vision than my feelings, right? Someone told me once, maturity is what you do even when you don't feel like it. Even when it's hard. That's maturity. Anybody can do the right thing when it's convenient, when it's easy, and when there's an instant reward. But will you choose the right thing when there's no reward? Or maybe you receive an opposite reaction than you should by choosing right. That's harder, right? That's more difficult. And God wants us to walk with him. And his burden is easy and it's light doesn't mean everything around you is easy. Remember, he was taking naps 
in severe storms on a boat. Light burden, difficult situation, right? This is the Jesus we're talking about. We're going to start in verse 26, Mark chapter 4. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first in the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So there's this process where we receive, maybe it's a promise from God. For Joseph, it was a few dreams. He received these dreams. They were from God. They were seeds of God planted inside of him. And uh, we can call it a mistake or we can call it providence. It was both. He told his parents, and he told his brothers. Maybe he should have just stuck with his parents. I don't know. But anyway, it was all in God's plan. He says, hey, listen, I had these dreams. You know, in the dream, like, the sun, moon, and stars were bowing down to me. The sheaves, your, my sheaf was here, it was standing, and your sheaves were bowing down to me. They were so mad. Even his dad was like, whoa, 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 son. But it even says he kept these things in his mind. But his brothers instead were like, we need to get rid of this guy. His annoyance level has reached DEFCON, you know, whatever the highest one is. What is it, one or five? Five. DEFCON five. I'm not in the military. Thank you. Um, no, and that seed took a while, right, to germinate and finally produce fruit. So he gets sold into slavery. Uh, he works for a fairly wealthy man. He starts to grow, right? It's, it's, there's evidence. You know, he's actually put in charge of the whole household. He faces a test. A thorn, if you will. Tries to choke him out. Joseph treasured that seed of God in him. And he's like, my master would give me anything. Except you. Why would I defile the name of my God and his? And so... This woman keeps bothering him. He ends up leaving. He's falsely accused, thrown in prison. Looks like his life is over. Looks like the seed is no more, right? But in prison, because he's got a good seed, he starts to grow and flourish. And there's more evidence of the blessing of God on Joseph's life to where he's in charge of the whole. Now, this is interesting. Joseph is not just in any prison. He is conveniently in the prison assigned by Pharaoh. So if you get thrown in prison by Pharaoh, this is the special prison. Not just any prison. So God behind the scenes is working everything out for his good. All things work together for good to those who love God who call according to his purpose. So after a few years, the baker, the cupbearer get thrown in prison. They both have dreams. Joseph interprets both dreams accurately. In three days, exactly what he said it happens. The cupbearer is raised up. The, the baker, bad thing happens to him. He's, he, his life is no more. And, uh, but then the cupbearer forgets about Joseph. A few more years. He even asks the cupbearer, he's like, hey, when it goes well for you, remember me. He doesn't remember. But then king of Egypt has a dream. Two dreams. They bother him. And he asks all his wise astrologers and 
magic arts people what it means, and they're like, no one knows. Only someone with the spirits of the God could know that. And then the cupbearer's memory is triggered. Okay? Let's learn a lesson here. Maybe you're being overlooked because God has an appointed time. Maybe things aren't going your way because there's a different way that is greater, that is more along the lines of his plans. Or maybe this would be better in the natural, but your spirit would starve because desires of other things would consume you and choke out the word. You know, a man, what profit is a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I'll tell you this one time. Okay, way back when, early on, um, I don't remember if it was a friend of mine or if I was researching on the internet, but I heard about this thing called Bitcoin years and years ago. And they were telling me, like, I was learning about the idea. It's this cryptocurrency. There's going to be a finite amount. And if you invest in it now, years from now, you'll get a bunch of money. And I'm thinking about it, and it's like, it sounds too good to be true. It sounds like a scam, Ponzi scheme. But I read enough about it, about the people who started it. I'm like, I'm, what's the use? I'm going to put a couple hundred bucks in and just see what happens. But as I set my heart to do that, I felt a, a stop in the spirit. Not to do it. Don't do that. I was like, okay, whatever. He's saving me from getting ripped off, right? Then I look years later. One single Bitcoin, which I could have bought multiples, is now worth around $10,000. Nine to $10,000 right now. Was God trying to punish me? No. But keep in mind, it's not just the dollar amount. That is important to God, right? It's the seed. He wants the seed to stay pure. Who knows what I would have done with that money? Maybe I would have missed one of my markers. Maybe I wouldn't have relied in faith in him in a moment because I would have just relied on the bank. I don't know. But I trust him. He's good to me. And we can trust him. It's not all about how it looks at the moment. But it's about the seed and protecting that seed, planting it and making sure that your crop of eternal life for you and for others stays pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. All right, let's keep reading. I love this one. Verse 30, and he said, this is Mark chapter 4. With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. I don't have any mustard seeds. Even if I did, you wouldn't be able to see it. You're not close enough. It's so small if you've ever had one. Um, But yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade shade with many such parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it did not speak to them without a parable but privately i love this verse listen to this privately to his own disciples he explained everything this is this is just a freebie here if the bible at this moment is incur- is intimidating or confusing 
or overwhelming to you, let me teach you what to do. Go to the Lord in prayer and say, show me. Show me what this means. But don't give up in five minutes. Remember, it's a seed. You have to nurture it. You have to water it. You have to wait. And what you'll find is as you revisit those passages in a week or two or four or six months from now, if you stay in a spirit of prayer, they'll start to unfold. And you'll be like, wow, I've never seen that before. Or you'll hear a word and something will click. And it'll just make sense. Um, Last night, this is just popping into my mind. I was thinking it during worship. Last night I had this dream right before I woke up. And in the dream I was sharing with people and I was telling them, I have all of the words of God inside of me. But there's things in me that are blocking it from coming out. And that's interesting. The same spirit, the same word that raised Christ from the dead is in you, it's in me. Jesus said it this way, the spirit will guide you into all truth. You won't even need a teacher. Or in Jeremiah, it talks about this time when the spirit in man will teach the man. That God himself will teach the man. We all have that same spirit. Every word Christ ever spoke and its deep meanings is already in you. Isn't that what the beloved Apostle John taught us as well? He said the anointing will teach you. And as this popped in my head, as so I'll pray about that later. Um, but let's go to Matthew 17, verse 20. He said to them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible for you. If you're anything like me, you've read that verse, and you've started to try to believe it, and then you've abandoned it. You know what I mean? Because that is an intimidating verse. Wait a minute. I can speak, and whatever I say will happen? Uh, that sounds like God, right? Jesus told his disciples, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done. Hmm. It's a big word too. Whatever you wish. Or, these works that I do, ye shall also do, and even greater works, because I go to my Father. Those are the scriptures that are very intimidating when all you have is a little baby plant in a cup. But I want you to have a vision that this little plant is going to grow some more seeds. Right? There's going to be little pods on that plant. And each of those little pods carry a promise, carry new seeds. And as you are faithful in the place of prayer, giving, worship, the word, sharing your faith, and just kindness, God will reward those who diligently seek him. Amen? And you will watch the word come true in your life time and time again. And just like in our example, you may see others with more success. You may see them with bigger crowds or more money or more on the outside that looks nice. But be faithful. Don't abandon your seed. 
just because it's not impressive now. Remember, it pleases God to start small. It pleases him. Jesus started as an embryo. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of peace, in flesh, started as a tiny baby in a womb. Started as two strands of DNA linking together God and man perfectly. And then there were two cells. And then there were four, right? And so on. Until the Son of God was born into the world. And look at what happened. He started small. And the faithfulness of his parents and the faithfulness of his family nurtured him to adulthood to where by the time he was 30, the heavens opened and the declaration of the Father over him was, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that same declaration is hanging over your head. It's already been declared. You're not waiting to be called beloved. In fact, that is the foundation of your faith. I was thinking about this earlier. This is another freebie. Just things that go through my head. The Bible says righteousness and justice are the foundations of his throne, right? Boom, boom. The Bible also says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Against these there is no other law. Against such as these, there is no law. Now, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, man, those are the same thing. Let's break that down. What is righteousness? It's right standing with God. It's when things are perfect with God. The first commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What is justice? It's the expression of that righteousness in the earth. Love your neighbor as yourself. So the foundation of God's throne is love. It is righteousness and justice, but it's also love. And if we receive that love, that seed, that foundation that God loves me, not because of what I've done, but because of who he is, it's who he is in his nature. And his nature, when I behold him, transforms me into that same image. And I become, just as Christ was love incarnate, the light of the world. Not because of me, but because of him. For by grace we have been saved through faith. It is not of ourselves. It is the gift of God. But he has prepared good works for us in advance for us to do. And it's through him he receives glory. He receives the honor. If he be lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. But it still starts with a seed. Don't expect overnight success if you want this journey to be verified and stamped by heaven and sealed with his name. Expect it to start just like it did with Jesus. Tiny little seed. And Jesus nurtured that seed, right? cared for it. He allowed that seed, I am God's beloved, to grow inside of him. I am his beloved son. He read the Psalms, the prophecies. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And he received it by faith because the spirit whispered to him, that's me. That's me. That's who I am. He read Isaiah 53 and it prepared his heart for the suffering that he would receive on behalf of humanity. He read Jeremiah 25, and he believed the promise that a king is coming. 
he read Daniel chapters 9 and 10, and he, he received that, that invitation that he would stand before God, even though he would be killed. He received all these promises, and even after his resurrection, from Genesis to Revelation, he, well, not Revelation yet, Genesis to Malachi, he explained to them, to his disciples, he opened up the word of God to them and showed them why he must suffer, but yet the promise that was on the other side of this. Um, can we go about 10 or 15 more minutes? I want to give you one more analogy, which I hope will encourage you. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor or the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound or blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Now listen to this, that they may be called oaks of righteousness. It's interesting to me, especially talking about seeds. Why oaks of righteousness? Why these people who are broken, downtrodden, cast out, blind, afflicted, but had received this gospel, this good news from the one on whom the Spirit resided. Why them, oaks of righteousness? Well, if you continue to read on, it says they will rebuild the old cities. They will be called the repairer of the breach. These oaks of righteousness. Why oaks? Let's look at an oak. An oak, as most of you already know, comes from a single acorn. Just one seed. This, is, this represents one potential oak tree. And that seed goes into the ground, sometimes even close to the original oak tree. Sometimes it's carried away by a rodent, um, you know, in a nut stash. I don't know if you ever watched Chippendale. Sometimes that nut can get really far from that original tree. Or what was the other one? The, the Ice Age? I mean, that nut goes everywhere. It breaks the world in half. I think it even goes into space at one point. Um, but anyway, that single nut goes into the ground. And in the proper season, what happens is a taproot goes underneath the nut still invisible to the eye, and it takes hold, takes root in the ground. And then, once the sun starts shining appropriately, that little plant's like, it's time. And it pops up, and usually four leaves pop out. Boom, boom. And it just, the tender little plant just comes up and starts to grow. Why is this important? Because for a long time, that plant doesn't produce nothing. It just receives. It just, it just takes in the sun. It drinks the rain. And it grows and grows and grows and grows and grows until finally it's ready to reproduce. But it doesn't do so automatically. First, it flowers. And this is, I love this. Listen to this. The flowers are not super pretty. It's not like, oh, wow, it's so beautiful. But these buds... They pollinate with the wind. Think about that. Some plants pollinate with insects. They, you know, go on this one and this one and they germinate and uh, then they can 
grow a seed. They pollinate with the wind. What's the, what is the spirit called? Is the wind of God. That blow of the wind, the freshness of the presence of God causes the oak tree to become productive, to germinate, and then be able to bear new fruit. And when an oak tree is about 30 years old, it can then produce a crop of new acorns, bunches of them. But here's the thing. That oak tree is inconsistently producing acorns. Why? Because it's subject to the weather. It's subject to the seasons. And you know, sometimes there's a hard winter. Sometimes there's less rain. And so the oak tree will then produce less. Why is this important? Because we're going to be called oaks of righteousness. And so let's follow this. Now, at about 50 years old, this oak tree is solid. It's not full grown, but it is solid. Why? Because its roots have gone so deep and they're so strong that it can drink of the deep. And even if there's a dry season, it will still consistently produce a good crop of new acorns. So this younger tree with shallower roots is still subject. It's fruitful, but it's still subject to the seasons. It's still subject to bouts of depression, lack of finance, being hated on. It's still subject to temporal things, seasonal things that that change and flow. But once that oak tree gets rooted and grounded, it can drink of the deep. Oaks of righteousness. I am in right standing with God. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And no accuser can tell me any different because my identity is not in what I've done. It is in who I am because of His gift in me. I am an oak of righteousness and I will grow and I will cast forth new plants and I will speak the word of God and say, you shall live and not die. You shall be an oak of righteousness. Why? Because it's who we are. It's His Word in us. It is His Word that is able to perform whatever it wants to do. Right? His Word in us. The Word made flesh. And let me tell you, we sell ourselves short. Mostly because we don't understand this principle. We prayed for faith two weeks ago. Why hasn't it hit? You know what I mean? Have you prayed for 50 years? Have you prayed to the point where nothing can shake you? Where you believe, Romans 8, that nothing can separate you from the love of God? Even your own stupidity? Do you believe that? Do you believe so strongly that even if you've committed the worst mistake of your life, you could write Psalm 51 and say, God, cleanse me. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners your law. I'm talking about David. Worst mistake of his life. Not only did he steal another man's wife behind his back, he stole his friend's wife behind his back who fought for him faithfully, tried to deceive him, ended up having him killed to try to cover up the sin. Can you imagine if he was alive today and that came out in the headlines? We would not give him a second chance. It would be, lock him up, lock him. You know what I'm saying? I know that sounds a little funny, but this is the reality of what happened. 
But yet David, because he was a man after God's own heart, not because he was a perfect man, said, God, forgive me. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Unlike Adam who hid in the garden, David ran straight into the presence of God once he was exposed. And he said, have mercy. Did he face consequence for his sin? That hurt. That son, born in deceit, he did not survive. And his family line suffered because he spread some rotten seeds. But God still called him beloved. God still honored him, not because he was perfect, but because he was faithful. And don't forget, there's a big difference. Jesus is the perfect one. He's the one who fulfilled the law, right? I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we, with unveiled faces, behold him. And that is our transition into glory. It's not by trying to get it all right. It's by trying to keep it all face to face. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It all starts with face-to-face, beloved one identity. And he gave us the right to become children of God, who also stand with God, anointed with him, joined with him, perfect with him, not by works. Don't be deceived. It's not by works. Whatever man sows, he shall reap. You sow destruction, you sow in the flesh, you're going to reap death. The wages of sin is death. But, despite all of that, you can get on your knees and say, Lord, remember your name. Remember the seed by which you called me. You called me. You spoke to my heart and I bowed my knee to you. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Renew in me a steadfast spirit. And guess what? You'll continue to grow. For God is able to do in and through you immeasurably more than you can imagine. It's not by works. You were created in Christ Jesus for good works. He's prepared them in advance for you to do. Back to the oak tree. For 50 years, it keeps growing and growing and growing until about 150 years. It gets so big that it becomes like a skyscraper in the sky. Four times as high as this peak right here. A solid, mature oak tree. And then it extends out its branches just as far. So look, this way. A mature oak tree, easily this wide. I'm talking about one that's been around for a long time. Wow, it's majestic. And we're called oaks, plural, of righteousness. How much shade will we give to the world? How much production and life will will just a a group of people like this who sign on for decades and not days give to the world? Who believe in generational blessing, right? We sing the song about it. Your family, your children, and the children, right? That's from the word. That's a blessing that God gives to his faithful ones. Not perfect ones. There's one perfect one. His faithful ones. The ones who, when they're unfaithful, they 
they just they press delete, they get on their face, and they get back in the presence as fast as they can. Do not let shame lie to you. Shame is broken. Shame is the power of the accuser. And his power has been completely eliminated. The prince of this world has come, but Jesus said, he has nothing in me. Nothing. Jesus, pre-crucifixion, said he's already defeated. I'm, I'm good. And then through his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on the throne, he's given us that same gift. He led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. All the enemy has left is a memory of what he once was. And that's the memory he tries to remind us of. And then we act like he's all powerful. And don't get me wrong. Without the covenant, he's very powerful, right? If you don't receive the word, right? What did the the demons in that one guy say? Paul, I know. Jesus, I know, but who are you? But wow, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, including the name of your secret sin, will bow. Bow the knee. Whatever it is. We're going to close with this. An oak tree will then go on to live possibly up to a thousand years old and even longer. And during its lifespan, it can produce up to 10 million acorns. Think about that. It's slow. For those first few decades, it's nothing. It doesn't look impressive in the beginning. It's, it's a growth. Just like Jesus' life, he was faithful. We got like two verses <laughs> that cover like 18 years. You know, he grew and became faithful and he grew in favor with God and man. Got a little story in there about him being at the temple and freaking his mom out. But that's, a, that's all we got. So that's it. But yet every day, he was protecting that seed. I am his beloved one. I am his son. I am his child. I hold on steadfast. You know, he reads Genesis and he's like, I'm the one that's going to bruise the head of the serpent. I'm the one that was promised of Abraham. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am that child. His mom probably reminded of this one. Who is called Emmanuel. God with us. And as that seed grew, so did his confidence. So did his willingness to be obedient. He learned obedience through the things that he suffered. A lot of times we think of Jesus that was so perfect that he was untouchable. But the Bible says that he was tempted in as all points as we are yet without sin. He was a man. He was fully God. But we, we tend to elevate him so high we think we can never be like him. But the Bible actually says you shall be perfect just as your father in heaven is perfect. It's not by works. It's by beholding. It's by seeing yourself in his eyes as beloved. It's loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. 
and then taking that love and sharing it with the world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the seed of your word. It's the same seed, same seed that you've given throughout history. Every revival was birthed by the word and the spirit. Every move of God received a word and someone said, I'm grabbing a hold of it and I'm not letting go until you bless me. Lord, may we be a people who contend for your presence to birth new life in us. Matthew eleven twenty-eight, 28. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I will be gentle and lowly in heart to you. You'll find rest for your soul with me. Jesus, may we never take the yoke off. May we day by day, moment by moment, allow your teaching to guide us into the truth of who we are in you and how much you've loved us while we were still yet sinners. Christ died for us. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And by faith, every accuser that has painted a picture of a lie, of something that may have been true but is no longer true, we break it by the word of truth. Your word is living and active. It is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides to the division of spirit and soul, of joints and marrow. It's a, it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So by faith, we say it's broken, and the seed of God has good soil to grow in. Amen.